The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. My name is Israel. If you're here new to us, uh, if we have not met, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Or perhaps you're listening to the media page uh, uh, on our website. Thank you for connecting uh, with what God is doing here at Highlands. Last week, Pastor Graham started a sermon series called Moving Mountains. And if you were here last week, or if you heard the sermon, you remember that it was on Jesus' uh, portion of the Sermon on the Mount where he speaks about loving your enemies. Isn't that an enormous mountain in our lives? It's those people that we really don't like that have perhaps wronged us or have wronged someone we love. And Jesus, whenever he speaks about enemies, he always does so in the plural fashion. That he assumes that you're going to have more than one at a given time. But a neighbor, when he says love your neighbor, he says love your neighbor, singular. As if you could only love one neighbor at a time. But loving your enemies, that's that's like a whole group of people that you have. That's Jesus' way. I didn't make this up. And isn't that, the, isn't that the case, that enemies are always lumped together? A certain people group, a certain nation, a, a certain religion, or what have you. You know, if one person from a, a family wrongs you, well, you know, that whole family doesn't look too good anymore. We lump people together. And <clears throat> Jesus shows us how to deal with enemies, how to love them, how to pray for them. And he also shows us how God loves enemies, that he allows the sun to shine on everyone. Isn't that interesting? I've never thought about the sunlight as a way of God loving enemies. And that's exactly one of the ways that God loves people that don't love him. It's through weather. You know that you project your own weather on people. Did you know that? (laughs) what's the forecast today yeah we shall see today we're not talking about the enemies outside we're talking about an enemy within we're talking about loneliness the suffocating feeling that you don't matter or that God is far away or all of the above We're talking about spiritual isolation where you could be really busy and be in a room full of people like this and yet feel so alone. Loneliness, according to Mother Teresa, and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty, she said. Isn't that true? And we need to feed the world we, we need to really resolve the great crisis of lack of clean water in the world, but let it be done, if it is ever done, for the purpose of raising people's eyes to God and raising dignity and saying, you matter to me and to God. Loneliness expresses, according to Paul Tillich, 
theologian. He says this, loneliness expresses the pain of being alone. And solitude expresses the glory of being alone. I like that. Some of you are saying, what's wrong with being alone? I got a lot of kids. I got too many grandchildren that visit me. <laughs> I, I was listening, I was eavesdropping uh, a communication from uh, this conversation that these moms were having uh, when I was picking up my five-year-old son from preschool. And I guess she has a lot of kids too. And she said, you know, I found myself in my car to have a conversation on the phone so I didn't have to be interrupted. And I thought to myself, she said, what am I doing? And sure enough, when I thought that, that someone was banging on, Mom, what are you doing in the car? Give me some crackers. What's wrong with being alone? Nothing's wrong with being alone. I think some people are so lonely because they're not ever alone. What? It's true. You're so fast-paced. You say yes to everyone and everything. And you find yourself completely wasted, no energy, alone inside you feel, even though you're with people all the time. And I think the, quite, the exact opposite is true. Some of us are always alone. I'm thinking about someone reminded me, even after this last service, he said, thank you for your message. I, I lost my wife after many years of marriage. And I'm wondering what God's going to do with me now. I, I'm, I'm ready for that, to move beyond the pain, he said. And I'm thinking, and I said, well, what has God shown you already? of what, you, what you're able to do. And he says, I don't know. And I said, okay. And then right after he says, I don't know, he begins to tell me about all the seniors in the uh, homes that have been dropped off and how even just one conversation changes someone's day in, in life. I said, I think God has already shown you. <laughs> Let's look at the text. Are you ready to, to hear and to receive God's Word? Psalm 102. And it goes like this. This is the new RSV. It's going to read a little differently if you have the NIV with you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me on the day of my distress. Look at the, the word day there. It's, there's a day of distress, isn't there? There's a season. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily on the day when I call. The purpose of prayer begins with the idea that God truly listens. Even the act of prayer itself is a form of surrender. And that's why don't ever say, I don't know how to pray. It doesn't matter. The fact that you long to learn how to pray, the fact that you long to pray more is a way of saying you are ready for prayer. Let's move on. For my days pass away like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. My heart is stricken and withered like grass. I am too wasted to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my, my bones cling to my skin. This is very poetic, lofty language, isn't it? But I think if, if you're real today, 
if you're a real human today, you would connect with some of this. Have you ever gone through an experience and you just didn't want to eat? And you feel like your life is meaningless and you lose weight, verse 5, without Weight Watchers. Amen. You don't need Jenny Craig. Depression has hit you. You're not eating anymore. Let's move on. I'm like an owl of the wilderness, uh, like a little owl of the waste places. Uh, this is my favorite, the whole thing. I'm like a, an owl. What does an owl do? Not very much. They just look like an owl most of the time. Now, they're very diligent. They have great eyesight, wonderful hunters. But most of the time, they look very useless. This, this one's saying, I, I'm like a little owl. I'm not even a big owl. I lie awake. I, I'm like a lonely bird on the housetop. If you know anything about the ancient world or the Middle East, especially in Jesus' time, you understand that the housetop, the roof, was not just, they didn't put Spanish tile on them. They, they would put straw on this flat surface of a roof and, in order to receive comfort from the hot days. They would sleep on the roof at times. And here this person who's praying this prayer, he says, I can't sleep. And I'm like this bird on the roof. What's going on? All day long my enemies taunt me those who deride me use my name for a curse. That's pretty severe. Has anyone ever used your name as a curse word? I mean, I know that there's someone in your family perhaps or someone that you know that's kind of like a curse word when you say their name, right? That's a bad spot to be when your name is almost like a curse word. Because you look cursed yourself. You feel cursed. And people look at you and go, you know what? You got nothing. What happened to you? Where is your God? Have you ever been persecuted like that? You claim to know God and you lost your job? Yeah, I'll sign up for church this Sunday. Oh, you, you lost your, your spouse. I lost my spouse. I have no, I have no God. You and me are no different. And the words sting, don't they? There's a big difference, though. A huge difference. Called trust. Let's look, look at this. For I eat ashes like bread and, and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you've lifted me up and thrown me aside. Lord, you have lifted me up only to toss me. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Are, are you ready for a turn in the prayer? <laughs> have we established the point of spiritual isolation yet? And it turns. Boy, does it turn. Verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. Your name endures to all generations. You will rise up 
You're going to have compassion on Zion. That's the, the great city of God. The Jews looked at Jerusalem as the center of the world because the center of the world is where God's presence directed his people to worship him. For it is time to favor it. God, I feel like five cents, but I know it is time for you to show favor to your people. The appointed time has come, for your servants hold its stones dear. Even the stones upon which they walked upon were sacred, and they have pity on its dust. This is probably alluding to the fact that Jerusalem was in ruins after being conquered by the Babylonians, and they are looking forward to the day when it will be rebuilt. It, it has echoes of that in this prayer. And so it's not simply just an individual crying out for justice, but a person that is looking at the desolation around them and saying, God, it's time for you to show favor. It's time for you to show favor on this country. It's time for you to show favor in every country. Let's, let's continue. Verse 15. The nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory for the Lord will build up Zion. He will appear in his glory and boy did he appear. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. What is the difference between a Christian who loses many things in their life and someone who has no interest in God and also goes through losses? If you haven't noticed, there's two major things. One, the Christian, the Christ follower, holds on to the name of God like a rock that will not be moved and understands that every prayer is heard by God. Every prayer. And that changes everything, my friends. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet unborn may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, so that the name of the Lord may be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. Look at this. The prayer moves beyond just the cell, also looks at the great city. It looks at the nations. Now this prayer is saying, I'm praying for those who have yet to be born. And you hear the cry of every person needing justice. You hear the cry of those in pain. And it ends like this. He's broken my strength in mid-course. He's shortened my days. He goes back to himself. Oh my God, I say, do not take me away at the midpoint of my life. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Does that sound like midlife crisis? A little bit. I think he went out and bought a chariot after this prayer. <laughs> all right. Last verses here. Long ago you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you endure. They will wear out like a garment. You change them like clothing and they pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. I want us to pray this verse together, verse 28 together. Why don't we say it together? 
The children of your servants shall live secure. Their offspring shall be established in your presence. The prayer begins with this isolated sense, this overwhelming sense of being alone, and yet it ends with a prayer for grandchildren. Even before sin entered the world, God declared that it was not good for that man, for that human, to be alone. And God said it's not good to be alone. He didn't say it's not, it's not good to be single. We, we've often interpreted that. It obviously speaks of marriage, but it speaks something greater. Connecting with God. Connecting with what God is up to. Marriage is the most profound of unions. It is the most profound sense of communion. It's also the hardest of all relationships. Amen. (laughs) But it's possible to be single and connected with God in such a strong way. Even Paul said that. So we do not look down upon those who are single and say, you have not yet arrived. <laughs> but whatever our circumstance is, whether we are married or single, we, we must move from this spiritual isolation. Is, is that you today? Or is that someone in your family? Or is that someone in that you work with? Or, or what friend is it that's been stuck there for years? You know, Jesus experienced loneliness. I think we often overlook this because the movies portray him as someone that's, you know, he's not really human, is he? He's always walking around. But I think Jesus experienced great loneliness. I mean, in the wilderness he was alone, but yet connecting with God's Word. And I think the the most profound and, and the deepest loneliness that Jesus ever experienced was on the cross. When they had spat, up, spat on him and they had taunted him and, and yet they continued their taunts and, and I think demons were speaking saying, you fool, you've lost. And people misunderstood him. And when they did understand him, they wanted to kill him. And yet he clung to the Father and cries, why have you forsaken me? And we've often thought that this was a cry where Jesus felt not connected with the Father. You could say that, absolutely. But it is because of the fact that Jesus is connected to the Father that he's able to express not being united as he felt in the past. Connection with God is always available to those who would dare to put their trust in Christ. You know, we can reduce our feelings of loneliness by a number of things. By reaching out to others, but how many know that we must reach out to God? We we must do that. And, And you need to take personal investment in that. And I am a firm, reformed pastor. That is to say, 
I'm Pentecostal by birth and by my upbringing, but I am Reformed to the core, and this is what reform means, God-centered, cross-centered, Christ-centered. That is, I can't do anything apart from the grace of God. And yet I must, in my own weakness and sinfulness and wretchedness, reach out to God with whatever strength God has given me to reach to the one who's already reaching me. I must take ownership of my life, even though I know it is in God's hands. There was a Gallup poll a number of years ago that concluded that four out of ten Americans admit to frequent feelings of intense loneliness and depression. And I think the other three were lying. (laughs) Has loneliness ever crept into your life? There's a number of people in the Scriptures that experience loneliness. You're probably thinking of some right now. Even, Even the great preacher Charles Spurgeon was prone to times of deep sadness. We, we don't think that pastors go through depression or isolation or, or being alone, but these are probably, <laughs> pastors are probably plagued with depression as much, if not more. C.H. Spurgeon said in 1866, he said this to a, to a Sunday morning gathering of 5,000 people in his pulpit in London, he said, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever gets to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. That's a way to start the sermon off, right? (laughs) Twenty years later, he said from the same pulpit, personally, I have often passed through the dark valley. The fact is, many good Christ followers people who are taking responsibility for their faith, people who do love their families, people who do say no to uh, requests. They don't say yes to everything. That they also go through times of depression. And perhaps it's from the death of a loved one. Maybe there's a great disappointment in your life. Maybe there's a failure in some area in your life. I mean, everything else looks good, but then you have this nagging at you what about that relational problem that seems to be only getting worse and some of us battle biological factors depression and isolation can be devastating and the psalmist knows about that in in verse 2 God seems so far away in verse 3 life seemed meaningless and his bones were burning and he he didn't feel well. In verse 4, he experienced a loss of appetite and weight loss. Some of you are saying, I I need that a little bit, but I don't want it at that cost. He also said, I feel alone. I feel rejected. I'm sad. He was painfully aware of his failures. Even verse 10 points that out. And, And get this, he did know God had raised them up only to toss him to the side. Wow. And I think we don't know what to do with these prayers. We're like, are we allowed to say things like this? I thought we only could bring praises to God. God wants it all. And here's, here's, here's what I want to focus on as we conclude. 
Maybe this is for you or for you later or for someone you know. Number one, understand that this mountain, you cannot move it on your own. But what you can do when you cooperate with God is to turn off the tunnel vision. Turn off the tunnel vision. If you have tunnel vision, admit it and go to God with it. What is tunnel vision? You just can't see anything in your periphery. You can only see what you see. You only see your pain. You only see what happened. And you rehearse that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know people that just have tunnel vision? We become unable to see the forest for the trees. And it's in these times we must learn to dwell not only on our pain, but also on the goodness of God that is filtering that pain. And in this way, we really surrender to God's sovereignty. That's a word that Americans don't like to use too much. We, we elect presidents for four year, a four-year term, and if we like them again, we'll elect them again. But eight years is all we got for you. You are not sovereign forever. But how many know that God works beyond the vote, above the vote? God doesn't need our vote to be sovereign. God is sovereign nevertheless. And God is in charge, and he knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. And by the way, he knows every cry, every painful story. God knows. And God is not looking from a distance. God is actually in the midst of suffering. That God moves most profoundly in suffering, even when it doesn't seem like that's the case. And my friends, when you surrender to God's sovereignty, you're learning to trust, aren't we? And we concentrate on God's character. That's verses 17 through 22. Talk about the character of God. That yes, I feel tossed to the side. Yes, I have these losses. But I don't understand why or why this happened now to me. But I'm going to move beyond that. And I'm going to focus on God's goodness. God's character. And I'm going to focus not just on my pain and the past or even this shattered present. I will also focus and look to the future. I will notice what's around me as well. God is preparing a great place for those who trust him. And it's at this point that C.S. Lewis offers a word of comfort and at the same time a word of warning. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that? Usually words of comfort also have at times a word of warning. C.S. Lewis said this, When I was a child, I often had a toothache, and I, I knew that, I w- that if I went to my mother, she'd give me something which would deaden the pain for the night and let me get to sleep. But I did not go to my mother right away, at least not until the pain became so bad. And the reason I did not go was this, I did not doubt she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from my pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists 
I knew they would start fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. This is a picture of my son from a recent dentist visit. I'm a sick man taking this picture. <laughs> Literally, I saw my son with an ounce of pain, and I said, this is a great Facebook moment uh, right here. This is going to get me a lot of likes. He had this small little cavity, and he said, Daddy, my, my tooth hurts. Can you touch it? Daddy can touch it, but that's not going to do anything. I'll take you to the dentist. And thank God they didn't need to give him a shot because they just did a local drilling. And he sat there, and he looked to me, and with my eyes of compassion, I took the picture. <laughs> How many know that our Lord is like this dentist? That... Dozens of people go to God to be cured of a particular sin or of a particular pain. But the dentist is not just interested in one cavity. The dentist is interested in your whole health. And that you have to be careful. When you cry out to God to help you with one pain, He will help you in other areas that you have not asked for help. Some of us have not been comforted by this sermon. You know, that's, that's just a whole lot of stuff I've heard before with a funny picture of your son in a dentist chair. And I'm still stuck. If you're still stuck, after sermons after sermons, after prayers after prayers. Go get some help. The Lord works through doctors. The Lord works through your friends. The Lord works through your spouse. The Lord works through your children. Why are you stuck in this pain? Has it become your God? Are you afraid that if someone takes away this pain you will not know who you are anymore. My prayer is that you would find your identity not in the pain, but in the one who heals every pain. Let's pray. Lord, be sovereign over every area of our life and fix not only the things that we're worried about, the isolation, but also deeper and other areas that we are blind to Help us to find our identity and not how we've been wronged or what we've done wrong, but for a new future that you alone can provide. May Highlands be a place and a community where people find healing, a sense of meaning because of you of your great love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is 
has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at Highlands.